And remember that we are not descended from fearful men. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four, three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. The Kellen and Alex Show. Season four finale. <laughs> Let's go. Wow. We, uh, cheers to you, brother. Cheers, uh, Alex. Which one is this? <laughs> uh, we have two. We got uh, Maker's Mark and uh, Wild Turkey. So, cheers. cheers. Man, uh, a killer semester. Another killer semester. A lot of cool guests. Um, I feel like we did a little bit more podcasts last semester. We had a ton of guests. I mean, all the way going back to like Dr. Plato, uh, Clem early on, Jacob Imam. Like, things are popping. You know, and it's been really cool to um, get to interview all these people, basically. <clears throat> Dude, yeah, it's it's always a treat, you know, when you bring special guests on and things like that. Of course, we want to give a shout out to Jocelyn, who's really done a lot of, just helped us out a lot. I mean, our co-co-host has really just helped us out with marketing and a lot of things like that, getting people to come to the show. So we really appreciate that, Jocelyn. Um, but yeah, dude, it's really awesome to just get guests on and just hear their experiences. You can fill hours and hours with just, you know, a special guest. And it's really cool. It's been a lot of fun how we've, how we've really brought on a lot of special people. This stream is like a throwback. It's like a total throwback because this is what we used to do. What we used to do of like Radio Lab. It was just me and you, and we just yelled at each other for two hours, and we did it live too. And like this is our first live stream in in ages, so um, a, a real throwback. And then we like it's been really cool having yeah like the guests like you said. That's kind of like naturally grown, um, and it's it's <laughs> I tell people it's just a great excuse to have really cool people. And just talk with them for like yeah, two hours. It is. And it's one of those things where you just like no expectations. You just go for it. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, it's true. It's good. It's good stuff. Time time flies, dude. When you're podcasting, time flies, bro. It does. Like, it People does. look it up really, and they're like, oh, two like, hours have gone uh, by. Oh, geez. It's, it's one of those weird things where that expectation that you're just going to be sitting and talking for two hours. Like, I feel like, you know, if, if you had any other excuse to meet somebody, you know, unless you're like. Uh, either in a relationship with them or like your family with them or even if you're just friends um, there's kind of like this expectation like I could leave at any time but on the podcasting it's like we got you there <laughs> you're here for two hours you're, and you're not moving and uh, that that makes for a, a cool experience in and of itself it does and uh, yeah it's just an excuse for us to invite <laughs> invite yeah, friends and people we want to we want to have on uh, yeah future of the show I don't know we're both going to be here we're both going to still be, be here next year it. I hope to be doing more live stuff. Like, I feel like we could do a lot more live. I'm I'm going to be down, dude. I'm here. Kellen Alex is going to live. Okay, forever. question. So let's get into the topic stuff. All right. What do you think about the future of student bill and where it's going? We've talked a lot. Like, that's kind of been the general discussion of most of my group and people I've been talking with. And, you know, we had that debate. If whether if, you know, Franciscan is academically excellent or not. And I think that. The majority voted. It was close, right? But the majority voted that Franciscan wasn't academically excellent. Yeah, right. Excellent. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> um, <clears throat> you feel like you'd have more pride in your school, but I mean, yeah, they're just being truthful. It was close. It was forty-four thirty-eight. <laughs> it was close. Yeah. Yeah, which is it's funny when one side wins that they just think it's a grand slam every time. But it was it was close. It was within six votes. I think that we do have a bright future. I think there's going to be a lot of new students coming in that'll provide a you know a good new perspective. I think that maybe partially a reason why we're even having this debate, honestly, is because like 
COVID has come around and it's really limited a lot of stuff on campus. Veritas has done a great job of, you know, bringing Shout stuff out. back. Shout out to Veritas. Uh, to bring stuff back and things like that. But um, it's been relatively difficult, I think, for students and for faculty especially. Well, students especially. Um, just being on campus but not really having much student life. Oh, yeah, besides, for sure. Because it's just because, you know, COVID has – people have just been kind of on edge. You know what I mean? And and it just it just, you know – it just puts stress on everyone knowing that, you know, okay, if like I think a couple of weeks ago there was like a couple hundred cases on campus or something. I was close contacts or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause you got it was sick. rough, dude. I got, I got really bad sick. <laughs> yeah. And I got dehydrated. I would like throw up and stuff. Yeah, and it was bad. Good. Yeah. Um, anyways, I think that Franciscan does have a bright future. Um, I think I would like to see. I'd like to see more, I think, diversity in our programs. I'd, I'd like to have like more programs. I know we just did something with a criminal justice, right? I think that we have a criminal justice. Why, why do you something. say that? Like more programs? <clears throat> I think that it would be, you know, because a lot of people come to Franciscan and they do the philosophy theology, right? That's probably the main one. Yeah. That's the reason why, right? <laughs> However, I think it would be cool to bring in, I'm not exactly sure what, but I think it would be cool to kind of bring in more, more programs. Now, however, I think that that would lead to, it could either go, it it could go two ways. It could either go, you bring in new programs, you bring in new professors and new students are going to come in that might've not had an interest in Franciscan, but now they do. Mm -hmm. And the thing that could go wrong is you start to lose your, campus like spirituality like you could start bringing in students that might you know hmm. if we have these different programs that aren't really tailored at all towards now at franciscan we do our best in every program to make sure that it's true it, rooted in truth and how you can direct that back to catholicism um but i was what I was thinking Except for the was, bio department and evolution. No, shit. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was thinking, um, if we if we did bring in more programs, let's see, you would again you would gain more uh, student interest. So there would probably be more students that would want to come if you had different programs. Mm-hmm. But you risk losing your identity as a school um, if you do bring in some programs that aren't really. Any, you know what's crazy? Near, like philosophy or theology. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, like lose like what you're good at, right? Mm. <laughs> that that's kind of been the critique is like my if I had to give the other side of the academic excellence thing, I would say what Franciscan's administration has done tried to do too many things and has done a lot of them poorly, right? One of those jack of all trades thing. Like our theology department, fantastic, right? Our philosophy department, really good and one of the best, and but everything else may be competitive at best. The bio department and the nursing program is good, right? They focused on those things. Sports. We're not great at any D3 sports, but you could also say that, you know, it provides benefit to campus and stuff. But like if they really went all in on one program, like let's say they went all in on basketball and like got a really good coach and tried, well, you can't recruit people right in D3, but yeah, I mean, you can, you, I mean, can, you recruit can recruit, people, but they yeah. don't get any scholarships. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. And they went all in on basketball. And like tried to create a cool culture around basketball. Like, oh, Franciscan's a basketball school. Like we we'd really try to get people here. I mean, that's what Notre Dame did with football, right? They went all in on football. 
I mean, they they have been for ages. They're super old school, right? Um, but instead, we add a lacrosse team, and then we add a swimming team, and then we add a whatever else. It's like you could have accomplished that diversity not in D3, but in intramural. So you're doing D3 sports poorly. Just do one or two D3 sports that you kick ass at. Right. Yeah, that that's interesting. Or okay. or like academic programs. Let's add a criminal justice major. Let's add a policy major. Let's add a blah 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 blah. It's like, and all those are just subpar to our philosophy, theology, nursing, or bio programs. Like all of them. Okay, that's a and good I point. think like or or com arts because like Catholic com arts is a huge deal, right? Um, <clears throat> JP the Great is like all about that. Yeah, Catholics wrote, and video, Catholics yeah. and whatever else, right? Yeah. So why don't we go all in? And mm-hmm. and so if we want to be ex, if we're striving for excellence, strive for excellence in a few things. If you strive for excellence in a lot of things, it's you're, hard. You're, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, yeah, it's kind of funny as you know. I work in sports, so it's kind of funny. Tread lightly here, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we do have some programs that really struggle, and I'm going to name a few. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> lacrosse. Do we have <laughs> you want me to help you out? Lacrosse is probably the main one. We didn't win. Our baseball's game. doing all right. Baseball's not bad. We're we're top four in baseball. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um but our lacrosse team, we didn't win a game this year. Um Bruh. but we also had a lot of injuries. But you can't use that as an excuse. <laughs> so where do you want okay. to go with that? Um, so bad players get hurt and are still bad. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> I, I, yeah, I'm sure they could all beat me up and uh, whatever else um, <laughs> and run laps around me. But still, like the point stands with point being stands. excellent. Yeah, I mean, so it's hard. It's yeah, it's really hard to do that. So Veritas, speaking of, uh, we got our three year anniversary pamphlet there and I wanted to get to that. Um, a few things. Oh, shout out to my buddy Wyatt. Hopefully he's watching. Uh, he's a, a sophomore or whatever. So he's planning this next year after McKenna to run for president and wants to dismantle Veritas. Why? He's kind of trolling, but <laughs> I, bet it, I bet he'd be serious. Is he being serious? Well, anyways, he's joking. He's he's oh. kind of a... Yeah, he's very ironic. Um, but there's people... So we got a... Um, this is inside information. But we got an email from an unnamed friar who... Um, basically had a lot to say about the recent Gauntlet article. So you know the Gauntlet article about uh, the patents? Uh, have you seen this? I don't know if I've seen that one. So a lot of people didn't know. <laughs> patents are and, the things uh, that you use at communion, right? Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. A lot of yeah. people didn't know this, but student government, this past student government with Clem and Nash, they really tried to push to have patents at the masses because they have the patents. They just never I used use to, them. I used to do patents. Because the Eucharist can fall to the ground. I used to do patents right. at my yeah, old yeah. church. I love doing patents. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I remember that. To protect Christ in the Eucharist. Like, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> so they were pushing to, hey, just have people do this. And it dragged on for months. And the friars hemmed and hawed, and they said that, and they said this. And maybe they have their reasons. And I think in a, in a general way, I think the friars are doing a really excellent job at leading the school. They're deficient in some ways, and of course, I'm critical. On the whole, I'm very positive about them. Um, but yeah, they I think they boofed this one like hard. They they just told student government, they sent them a letter and just said, yeah, we like all your reasons. Uh, we don't care. And sorry, this isn't going to happen. And the letter was really kind of like, didn't provide much reason, rationale, whatever. Okay. So Jared, Jared Johnson, shout out to Jared. Jared. Great guy. You know Jared, right? Yeah. yeah. Great guy. Um, he 
wrote a Gauntlet article, and it's entitled, uh, There Was Never a Fair Debate, or This Has Never Been a Fair Debate, and just argued basically like, here's the story of what happened, here's the result, and here's why we think it's stupid, and it was a bad decision. And he argued very convincingly. Well, this friar sent us this, this email, and it was just like, I don't want to be a Veritas advisor. I don't want to be associated with you guys. And this is uh, the way that we were portrayed was the friars were portrayed was bad or whatever. And it's like, okay, but in none of these things that they provided reason or rationale for why patents are not just an obviously smart thing to do. Like they said, they made some reason like no one else does it. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> there's a lot of things other people don't do. And it's like... That's not a reason against patents. You're not actually saying anything about it. It's just an unfortunate. So actually, uh, the current vice president, Josh, so McKinnon and Josh Schutte are now in. I was talking with him about it. And he, his opinion was, I like it. Like, I love patents. I've had them in my, my parish for a long time. I just didn't think student government was the right avenue to do it. And I was like, okay, that's fair because it's a political thing or whatever. So why are they pushing for this liturgical thing? I mean, I kind of disagree with the sentiment, but I understand it, right? It's like, it's not just a like a liturgical thing. It's it's really, a, you know, a political entity like the student government. I think they represent the student body. So this patent things is a straightforward thing. But anyways, I say all of that to get back to the point that um, Veritas does things that people love and people hate. And I think more and more... the. If you don't have people hating what you do, then you're not doing anything meaningful. You're not doing anything right. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah, not doing anything yeah, right. That's not true. doing anything yeah. meaningful, right? Th that's a really good point. Are patents traditionalists? Are they traditional? See, here's the thing. <laughs> exactly. So <laughs> this is the thing, right? Okay, I'm. Um, yes, they're a traditionalist. Now, there's a whole host of other things that are. Notice how like we have this kind of party lines mentality when it comes to liturgical tradition stuff. It's like, it's so asinine. It's, oh, I'm conservative. Oh, I'm liberal. Here's the conservative side. Here's the liberal side. It's just like every other American politic um, bullcrap, right? And okay, so the the thought is if we allow them patents and that becomes usual, then they're going to start complaining about Eucharistic ministers. Like, hey, you already have enough priests. Why do you need Eucharistic ministers? Right. And then if we start doing that, then they're going to want everyone to kneel at communion. And then they're going to want everyone to go to altar rails. And then they're just going to want it to be a traditionalist thing. And we're, we're not doing that. That's kind of the mentality. And I'm not accusing the friars of having this completely, but I, I don't think that's wholly absent from the, their thought. It's like there's this substructure of there's some radical traditionalists who want everything to look exactly what they want. And they're never going to accede to they're never going to stop demanding more and more things until you completely do like some uh, Latin mass high mass, which is not what people like Jared Johnson and Clem and whatever else are intending, right? But it gets lumped into that category. Why don't we do just, <clears throat> I'm assuming friars know how to do it. So why don't, because they're priests. So why don't we do like different types of masses on campus? And so why don't we do why don't we do a traditionalist mass where we use the patents or whatever? We do just different stuff. I mean, why don't we do that? It doesn't have to be every Sunday. But why can't we do... Why can't... Well, we have... You can't give them an inch, Kellen Lake. <laughs> look, look. How many masses do we have on Sunday? 8.30, uh, 30, 12.30, yeah. 4.30. We have five masses on Sunday. Yep. Why can't we use patents one of those masses? 
Well, then people will ask, why don't you use them all of the masses? Make it a special mass, like every Sunday. A special mass where you care about Christ more than that one, and you care less. <laughs> I mean, you get you get the logic though. It's yeah, like I, I it's don't really such know. it's such yeah. a no brainer thing. It's like okay, let me explain to you, fellow Catholic. Right? You know, it's like not you particularly, but like, uh, hey, fellow Catholic, you care about the Eucharist. Yeah, I do. Well, why do you care about whether or not it falls to the ground? Oh, well, every particle is a particle of Christ. Okay, then why do you receive communion on the hands instead of on the tongue? Because Ooh. you're providing more occasion for Christ to be spilled particle-wise onto your hands and other places. <laughs> <laughs> dumbfounded. <laughs> Joe Rogan. Right, I mean, it's, it's a dumbfounding question because it's so, like, the idea of receiving communion on the hand has not, it hasn't been in practice since, like, the 300s or before in apostolic times. And even then, it's dubious as to whether that was the means of of, uh, of the Eucharist, and they didn't have a development of the, the theology of the Eucharist to where you you could say, no matter how many times you break the host, it's still Christ until it's consumed. Okay, Vatican II happens, and now everyone receives communion on the hands. That must have pissed people off. It did, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, of course. But, okay, so the patents question is intimately connected with communion on the hand question. It's seriously like... Um, all of this is like an invitation to just not think. It's just an invitation to just obey your clerical authorities. And I think this is kind of the root of clericalism is the laity don't know enough to understand uh, the intimacy, intimate knowledge of the liturgy. And if they start telling us stuff about what the liturgy should look like, they're stepping beyond their bounds. That is a huge clerical problem. The Properly, liturgy... Liturgia, the orgia in Greek is work. Just means like a, a, a work. The late is where we get the word like um we or sorry, orgas. Orgas is Latin. It means work, not Greek rather. Late is like laity. That's where we get lady. It just means people. <coughs> laity properly just means the people, right? The late orgias is the work of the people. It's not the work of the clergy. The liturgy is properly the Christian people giving visible external expression to the divine mysteries through the sacraments, right? And the sacraments are given to us by the clerics, obviously, and they have that role. And they're leaders in the church, and they're meant to be, and they're going to be judged harsher, as Paul talks about to Timothy. But um, the laity have the responsibility of the external forms of the liturgy, the music that's at mass, informed by the laity and the culture, the beautiful artwork done by the laity, Michelangelo, laity right all these great um composers mozart and all uh, like beethoven who made masses and all these other people laity right the beautiful cathedrals and the architecture there laity like all of these external forms are laity run they're not clergy intended right so now we have this situation where the laity are wanting what in a liturgical consciousness right this is the whole point of the class I took this year with New Testament and the Eucharist with Dr. Hahn is developing a liturgical consciousness, a liturgical hermeneutic of reality. Like we're religious beings, right? Ultimately, everything we do is this kind of habitual ritual type of thing, right? Um, and so the liturgy really is the center of our lives. Like your Sunday mass is the center of your life. It should be at sure. least. And everything kind of is, is created in this sphere around it. Have you been to Paris before? No. You haven't, but so how Paris is structured and super interesting, Notre Dame Cathedral, 
is the single middle point of mm-hmm. the entire city of Paris. Wow. Everything is measured from Notre Dame. Wow. Everything. All the arles are these big circles that go farther and farther around the centerpiece, which is Our Lady of Paris, which is the grand cathedral there. And what what does that say about like that is that that is the Latorquia being brought into reality. That is saying like, oh, the Eucharist is the center of my life. Not only that, it's the center of my town. Not only that, it's the center of all of my people in mm-hmm. Paris wow. all together. It's the centerpiece. Wow. Everything hinges on it and it's all circled out of that okay so right what would be the center of franciscan well it should be the church there now here's what the students are addressing i've been ranting a lot but this is my last point um it should be centered on the chapel and on the eucharist that's in there okay the poor now there's oh no no the christ the king yeah christ the king it should be um here's the problem they are refusing to accommodate the growing traditional consciousness and liturgical forms that their lay students are very much wanting, right? Hmm. And and look, we're no longer the, the church of the 90s and 80s and 70s that Franciscan kind of grew up on, which is kind of charismatic and whatever else. We're no longer that. Like, the people are growing in this liturgical consciousness and they want a particular external form and the students are willing to make that happen. What I think patents really represent is Franciscan students saying, this is important to us. The liturgy, we want the liturgy to be accommodating to all of us. And the 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 girl's um, uh, article in the next week, uh, I forget her name, like Kathleen or something like that. She wrote a wonderful article about like uh, the Vatican II conference, which was a total uh, crapshoot. It was just like, it was uh, pandering and it was just not addressing issues. Uh if the laity are pushing for particular external forms of liturgical, um, whatever it looks like, the clergy should be willing to accommodate that and support it. They shouldn't just shut it down and say, we know better than you of how the liturgy should look like. So it's unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. They should have done patents. I, I think if they really uh, found like, think like the Scola, different other, like, here's another thing they should go all in on. Music, yeah, because music sucks, yeah. right? <laughs> I'll say it straight. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> now we're not shooting anybody down that actually does the music. We're talking about the. No, I'm looking at you. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also shout out to all, all of our people watching uh, live on Twitch. If you didn't know, we got a uh, Kellen in the ghillie suit, and then we got me. I'm dressed up as a Dominican slash Aquinas. <laughs> And uh, it's ironic because I got a Padres hat, which is Franciscan. So, <laughs> anyways, uh, back at it. Um, yeah, I think, right, it's the mass, right? It's the ultimate. So, we need to have the best, right? We need to have the best of everything with it. Um, that's what Joe Palmer was talking about. Why, why, are we not using, why are we not using the best chalices? Yeah. Right? Why are we not using the best everything at the mass? Why do we not have a full orchestra for the mass, for the masses? Why don't we? Why don't we have a, like a legit are, I mean, church? Are we not Franciscan? Like, are we, we're the staple, right? And so why don't we have absolute greatness at the mass? Why not spend a hundred million dollars and build a new church? I mean, I understand like it's a lot of money, but then again, you're charging students $40,000 a year. 
I mean, all you need is like 20 students and that's like a million dollars almost. Why do we not have the best everything? Why is our gymnasium complex bigger than our church? Oh, ouch. Like, and I mean, I get it. Our academic buildings are also bigger than our church. Um, can you fit all your Franciscan students in CTK? No. Can you fit half of them? No. Can you fit a fourth of them? <laughs> no. Can you fit an eighth of them? No. <laughs> you can't even fit an eighth of all of Franciscan in CTK. But you can in the field house, probably. <laughs> <clears throat> Don't get me started. <laughs> um, yeah. No, no, no. Why? Wait a second. Okay. So, okay. Going back to the Paris example. Okay. I, you know, it's funny. My, my, uh, me and my dad are very similar in a lot of ways. But he takes more pessimism pessimism sides. I take more optimism. So when I'm looking to Steubenville and I'm looking to Franciscan, I'm always with an optimistic eye, right? Here's a pessimistic one. <laughs> um, the fact that our gymnasium complex is what it is and CTK, the concrete palace, whatever it is, is um, that we decided to pour all the money into sports and then we built a new Cosmos and Damien and we did that whole thing and science and whatever. And we really haven't paid attention to building a, a legitimate church where everyone can really gather around. That's the reason why people are going to St. Pete's. That's the reason why people, um, we don't have as as unified a liturgical community. Like, okay, if Christ is the center of Franciscan, let's build him a place that he can stay. And that all of us can gather around and participate in and not a field house. And not a gymnasium. And And also not some abomination built in the the 60s and 70s, right? It is a general thing on campus that people don't like going to mass on campus. Unfortunately, Uh, I don't. A a lot of people. Unfortunately, too. Yeah. It's it's, it's unfortunate. It is very unfortunate. I should be able to go to mass on campus and love it. And And I I wish I did, too. But I, I don't look into the specifics too much, but there's a lot of things that we can fix. And I, sometimes I really wonder what they're doing with our money that we spend. You know, I know it goes to professors, but there's a lot over. And why are we not, uh, you know, <clears throat> why do we not have a place that can fit all the students? Are there any churches in the United States that can fit 3,000 people? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there yeah, are. St. Definitely. Patrick's yeah. Cathedral in New York. I mean, there's yeah. my parish can hold like almost 2,000. Yeah. I mean. And, and think about it this way, too. People come to Franciscan, they visit, they see it, whatever. If you built a legit church and really designed it well, and it was traditional and it was really cool, and maybe it was even gothic and stuff. Oh, bro. Like, we would be a destination. <clears throat> Far would. more than we really are, right? Mm-hmm. If instead of pouring millions of dollars into a, a lacrosse field room and get our ass handed to us. Uh, we could <laughs> we could actually put it into a chapel. That's true. I mean, I'm sorry, donors. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, they do, they donated and that's where their money went. Like, if their money went to hiring the best architects and hiring, like, really legit... Notre Dame has a fantastic architecture school. Like, you go to them and say, hey, we're building a church and it's, it's going to be a church that people are going to come visit us just to see the church um i mean over the next hundred years people are still gonna be visiting this church and franciscan students are gonna like see that and see the glory of that and build that liturgical consciousness i really wish that we had a church on campus like that you know what i mean i really the christ the king is just it's old it's outdated 
it yep. it just looks burned on the inside. It smells. <laughs> it's. <laughs> I mean, it's it just, seriously, he's got a toilet close enough that when you flush it, people can hear it inside the church. I, and, you know, <laughs> I'm I, sorry, I, I, had to, I had to bring that up, but I wonder if that is an actual big criticism that people have, and I wonder if friars really hear that very often. It's like, why do we not have a way better church? Like, people, why don't people say like, you know, what are we doing? Why don't we have a a, a better church? Why why do we not have? We're Franciscan, right? Why do we awesome. not have? Why do we not have a destination church? You know what I mean? Like a church where it's beautiful, like you said, hire the best architects. The new turf field. I don't know if it was something like $500,000 or something. I don't, I don't know if it was that. It might have been way more. It might have been less. I'm not sure. I thought it was around there. I heard somebody say something like that. But can you imagine what we could do with $500,000? Like put into a new church? Like it's huge. I know a church is probably going to cost more than a turf field. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a five to $10 million, probably about a $10 million project. But at the same time, like. Yeah, I mean, why don't? Do you know how much, yeah. how many more millions in revenue you're going to get just from people, um, like what that's going to do for Franciscan? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, no one's coming here to play lacrosse. No one's coming here to play basketball. I get it. Like, I'm excited and glad that the sports are doing what they're doing. I actually think sports are. I I think they're a really essential part of community building. I think they're really cool. Uh, as a in contradistinction to a lot of my friends who think it's just a waste of time or whatever else i've heard a lot of that too i love sports dude when we, when we do ufc fights and we you know i like going to baseball games and I, I i i love all that stuff and i i think i'm very glad the franciscan is doing it okay priorities though it, it priorities. really is like where is and also business side what is franciscan's unique sell like why do people want to spend 40k a year to go here I think it's been turning into academics. It is for me. Theology and philosophy, it's academics for me. Great point, yeah. And, um, but, okay, yeah. What is the selling point? I went to Franciscan and I didn't even, I didn't even think twice. I didn't even look at one other college. Wow. I just went straight here. I knew they had a good com arts program and and I knew that I would grow in my faith. Right? I came here, I did I did my time, I paid my dues. I did um three years here. I did a year before to junior college and I got my degree. And the one biggest thing that I wish I did that I wish I did differently was I went to to was to go to daily mass more. This sounds terrible, but I went to daily mass probably two or three times a semester. A semester. Not a week. A semester. And I, I just didn't find though I just don't find a mass in the field house attractive. I just don't. It's a gym. We have banners off to the side that are showing our sports things. And like, you know, you have the altar up there and the big cross in the back. But, you know, even even daily mass in Christ the King. You remember when we went to 
go visit Zach Hamar. Shout out to Zach Hamar. Shout out. Um, remember when we visited him at Notre Dame? Yes. That church there, I forget what it was called. Insane. The um, tabernacle was like the size of Kansas. It was big. It was huge. I mean, it was like t- bigger than this room and it was solid gold. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just the grandness and the splendor and the beauty behind that. Why don't we have that at Franciscan? Now, I understand that Notre Dame is a D1 school and they get a crap ton of funding. But at the same time, like... Crap ton's an understatement. <clears throat> yeah, they got a lot of money. And But Anyways. at the same time, like, why don't we... Why have we not put an investment into that? As, as for something like that at Francis? I mean, what's holding us back, right? What's seriously... Is it money? Is it politics? I think it's leadership. Is it leadership? I think it's someone who's willing to actually step in and say, this is what we're about. Like, cut the bullshit. This is what we're about. Like, we're actually about this, you know? And we're not actually about, like, just being another school and following Notre Dame and doing all this other stuff. Like, no, we're unique. We're, we're doing our thing, you know? Um, yeah, like, our little group, um, you know, the people we graduated with, the people who are now graduating, um, they all seem to get it, in my opinion, right? And... I'm not saying like the, you know, the generation past, the ones who are current leadership don't like get it, but I feel like they're just doing a ton of different things just to kind of mimic other things. I think we really need to step out in the deep, into the deep and just like really solidify our own identity. Like you were saying, stop messing around with 500 different majors and 600 different sports teams, build yourself a church, focus all that around that. Um, and then you know, focus on two or three academic programs that are going to be really excellent and that are going to be really attractive to people. Yeah. Build them up huge and then go on from there. And if you want to do sports teams, you want to do other stuff, great. Um, But have at the center the church, right? Have at it at the center. And how much more is that going to do for students' respect for the friars too? Like they're going to see them more as spiritual fathers, right? Um. Yeah, right. It, and and okay, one major thing that I love about Franciscan that they've done um, from the friars is the availability of the sacraments. There is tons of masses. Yeah. There are tons of confessions. Yep. And I think that they've maintained that and they do it year after year. Like people don't get, give them enough credit for that. That's huge. The fact they do all those long lines for confessions spiritual direction, whatever you need, and the friars are willing to do it, huge, huge. Now, pair that with an epic church, right? With like an epic, like, uh, yeah, building structure. And you got it made. Like, and the friars are willing are willing to, you know, put the money up, first of all, and then are willing to um, continue the sacraments in it. Uh, the reason I'm sticking around this next year, and you're sticking around as well, not only is it, you know, all our friends are going to be here and we're going to continue to do stuff and we got different opportunities and that's really exciting. But I, out of all the places I know, which isn't a lot, um, a experiment in genuine Catholic community, I think could actually occur here more than anywhere else I see. 
And I don't want to leave here before that could actually be realized or we figure out it's not going to work out. And I think a lot of it is contingent on where the university is going to go because we're going to be attached to it somewhere or another. Studentville is, is, you know, attached to the hip with what Franciscan ends up doing. Um, actually, that's kind of debatable. but It's true. But I mean, I mean, with with the money that's flowing in and stuff, right? So I don't know. I I lo- I like Father Dave. I don't know him personally that well. Uh, I think he's doing a fine job at the moment. I think the step in faith thing was a very smart business idea. But what's his like ten year plan? Like what's his like ten year vision for what the school is going to be? Is it just going to expand? Is he going to build a big church? Is he going to what What's going to be this pivot that Franciscan's going to do? And what also do does our generation of students represent? Because I, there's been a number of students in generations above us, generations, I'm using that, sorry, classes, I should be saying, not generations, number of classes above us who, some of them stayed in Steubenville and made homes here. I think in disproportionate levels, this current graduating class is staying here in Steubenville. Yeah. Anthony Edwards and Clem and Nation, oh, sorry, Nation's leaving, but... And, uh, and me and, you know, John and you and like a lot of groups are staying in the area and trying to make it, make it work. Uh, I could move back to San Diego and maybe find a job and get like a, a very nice paycheck or whatever. And, but there's like nothing that would want me to go there unless I really was strapped for cash and that I had to do it. There's something about what we're doing here that's unique. And it's one of those, um, and it's not just cause like, oh, this is my friend group, but like genuine Catholic community is is getting rare, more rare and more rare, right? I don't want another 2020 where I'm at home and isolated. Like, I, I'm not flourishing in that. I don't think you're flourishing in that, right? Uh, I've also been heavily critical of this great country of ours that we have. Um, and this, this isn't because I'm not patriotic, but, but because uh, we do live in a country where we are committing mass genocide against our own people every day. And somehow as Catholics, we think we can support that. And then further, we're supporting this military empire that's like destroying countries. Uh, you know, we we had, um, <clears throat> we're going to have an Iraqi bishop coming for graduation. Did you hear about this? Iraqi bishop. Yep. Wow. And Alex McKenna, actually the current president of student government or this for this next year, he's in Iraq right now helping kids and stuff. Okay. Why is that country so screwed up? USA. It's it's one of those it's it's so ironic. I think, you know, I think we're moving into an age where people our generation are moving into like post irony where it's so absurd like the situation we put ourselves in globally and and domestically and whatever that is it's so obvious that it's almost repulsive to say it straightforward. So you kind of have to put it in this kind of ironic twist. Yeah, so we we invade a country because we're continuing the the policy of proxy wars via Russia, Iran, China. Uh, so we invade Iraq, we do all this stuff, we justify it in different ways, and then we screw over their country and kill lots of people that we deem terrorists, and then um, we leave their country in shambles. And now all of a sudden, their Christians in Iraq now come to America to ask for money to go back to the Christians because we created a situation in the in, in which the Muslims were able to persecute Christians in vast numbers, which they would not have done 
and not have had the opportunity to do unless we had screwed stuff up and made them do that. And now they come to Christian parishes with people who are super patriotic and pro-America and pro-everything, you know, like military empire. And they're asking money from these people who created the problem in which they have to ask for money in the first place. It is like, and to say it in those terms is so repulsive that you have to put it in this post-ironic like prose. We're in this strange time, right? Yeah, we are. And this, and I, I, I fly the American flag not because I'm like this ultra patriotic guy. I was just because like it's uh the symbolism here is is really manifest, right? So yeah, thirteen stripes, thirteen colonies, and now we got fifty states. We manifested our destiny, right? The fifty stars. Let me, let me count one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Good. I do know some American history. 13 colonies, and now we got 50 stars. How do we get those 50 stars? Well, we beat Mexico for Texas, California, Arizona, uh, New Mexico. Um, how do we get Hawaii? We literally just showed up and <laughs> took it over. How do we get all these other places? I mean, we we bought Alaska for money, for cash from the Russians. Okay. It's like we manifested our destiny. Uh, we did some imperial fun stuff in Cuba, in uh, the Philippines, in Japan, sort of. Um, and then World War One and World War Two happened, and then we did imperialism, really imperialism. And um, and then we do proxy wars across the world. Now, us as Americans, we're caught up in this this thing, this American military empire, as we had at the debate. And then at the same time, in our liberalist system, we support the mass murder of innocent children every year in abortion. And that is propped up by this this thing, right? This this federal government. Yeah. And and also there's the illusion that we actually participate in it. Yeah. And and I call it an illusion because, because um you you're only a, our representative democracy has limits. No one runs for office to try and like completely dismantle the American empire to recreate it according to Catholic values. I just, it won't happen. You cannot elect somebody who will get to that point. Even if your whole country is Catholic, like our whole, our representative democracy does not accommodate that. So it's all your choices. It's like if I gave you, if I give you three choices that are all substantially the same, and then I told you, you have like this massive freedom to choose, like, you live in a free society and it's like, okay, but all your options are limited and chosen by people who are already in power. <laughs> Say that again, Alex. <laughs> <clears throat> Let me drink some more whiskey first. Um, you live in a free society. You live, you live in a free society. Oh, you have freedom, but all your choices are provided by the people already in power. What type of freedom is that? And a lot of, a lot of times people are forced into things. <clears throat> and I, I love to like the, uh, the whole notion that we go to proxy wars for like their own freedom. Why don't you ask the Afghanis what freedom we've given them? Now that we've pulled out as well and oh, the Taliban's back. It's like one nation's terrorist is another nation's freedom fighters. And that doesn't condone any of their actions. They just view them in these different ways. And you're convincing a people of just power dynamics. And that's the way of the world is power dynamics. It's not the way of Christianity. It's not the way way of the church. It's out of love. And it's, that type of stuff is not out of love. That type of stuff is out of calculated investment and calculated uh, military advantage and political and geopolitical stuff, right? 
why do you, why did this same government fund the people who would later fly planes into the Twin Towers? People just don't know their history, man. We gave millions of dollars and arms to Osama bin Laden in the 70s to go fight the Russians in, in Afghanistan. And the Mujahideen were from Saudi Arabia, of all places. <laughs> we gave them tons of money. They go there. And then when we start invading Iraq and Saudis are involved and whatever else, now they go on a holy war against the United States. And we attribute it to their religion. <clears throat> We're in reality, it's just attributable to our political enterprises. And then they figure out some elaborate plan and they, you know, they they bomb the Twin Towers. And now the this US government has a universal justifier to do whatever they want in the Middle East for the next 10 years. It's such a So now so now yeah. after 9-11, you could do whatever you want in the Middle East because they bombed your own country. It's the, it's a Pearl Harbor type of like carte blanche. It's literally like Osama bin Laden, the Al Qaeda, sent the U.S. a blank check for the price of what was it? How many thousands of people died in 9/11? It was like a th- it was three thousand, three thousand, something like that. So the U.S. government received a uh, two thousand nine hundred ninety-seven, I think. Yeah, three thousand person minus sheet with a blank check that said, do whatever you want in the Middle East. That was what Osama bin Laden gave them. And this is not trivializing the deaths. This is not trivializing. But essentially, the U.S. government said, sweet, I'm going to write $50 billion on this check. And they did. And they they took all this. They justified occupation of Iraq and Afghanistan for the next like 15 years. Well, up to our present time. And the Syrian civil war coming out of that as well. This is not trivializing the 9-11. This is not trivializing the death. Not saying there's some conspiracy or whatever else. I don't need a, to prove some conspiracy to say that the U.S. government made full advantage. It was the same thing as like Lyndon B. Johnson made full advantage of Kennedy's death when it happened to make the Civil Rights Act and to make other stuff, right? Um, the death of all the people at 9-11 was also used by this U.S. federal government thing to, to advance its geopolitical agenda. Which is screwed over a lot of people. And now we have an Iraqi bishop who, through no fault of his own, got put in this situation. And now he's coming here and I'm sure he's going to be, you know, there's going to be money involved. There's going to be other stuff. It's like, why doesn't the church stand up and condemn this type of stuff? Why don't people, why aren't people aware of this? And like outraged about that instead of being outraged about Democrats winning. It's like the Democrats and Republicans want all that same thing. It's it's really sad. It's really sad, actually. You know, I'm not going to say that the Catholic Church doesn't have like a presence, <clears throat> and it doesn't have it doesn't have convincing people trying to convince the public about what is good. But it just doesn't seem like okay. <clears throat> let's just speak reality, right? I'm down for that. Let's just speak truth. That's all we do at the Kellen Alex show. Yep. Um, we've been talking about how long have conservatives been talking about banning abortion? They never intended it to be banned. So I think they're just talking, <clears throat> talking straight out of their butts, dude. Even Trump, right? Even Trump said I was going to overturn Roe v. Wade. Didn't happen. They never want to. And, and, 
how many ba- how many thousands of poor babies are murdered Millions. each year? Yep. And it's just it's so sad to me. And I lean towards let's say a woman commits an abortion, right? And a lot of the a lot of times women are just devastated by that. They don't realize it yet, but they do after and they and they need counseling and good, let's give that to them because that's a good thing. And we want people to rehabilitate. We don't want pe- people to be scarred for the rest of their life. So it's just like you're wasting a life. But how many times have we talked about banning abortion? How many times have we talked talked about abolishing gay marriage? How many times have we talked about all these different things? And it just doesn't come to fruition. Whose fault is that, right? Whose fault is that? Whose fault is that, really? You and I's fault for trusting that any of these elected officials would do anything and that this U.S. military empire is in any way able to be changed into something that would be like uh, at peace with the Catholic faith. And I, uh, you know, it's funny. A year, uh, yeah. The difference between me now and a year ago seems like a, you know, lifetime ago. But I was watching the capitalism debate back then. I was so fiery and I had all these one liners. <laughs> I was pissed you're off. You were on fire. You were pissed off that yeah. one. I was like, we're not, we're not the, the Bernie side. This isn't the Bernie side because we're, <laughs> we're socialists and they're capitalists. This isn't capitalism. This isn't socialism. This is Catholicism, which all of us are, you know, going for. And this isn't, this isn't the Bernie side. We're not feeling the burn. We're feeling the burn of the sacred heart of Jesus. <laughs> that was another one of my one liners. Um, man, the fact that any of us seriously think that any elected official of this current administration government could do anything to overturn abortion it's just so absurd how many times do you need to walk up and down the capitol like around the capitol building and the supreme court to realize that this whole structure is meant for an abortion like system like our whole liberalist government that that whole like you know you take your government class in senior senior year of high school this whole system we've made is an is perfect for an abortion society it's poor it's perfect for a contraceptive society it's it's one in which the individual is the supreme um capitalism rules uh everyone's just trying to get their money i remember seeing this video uh (laughs) yeah it was a really stupid video but it was like this this lady on this like reality tv show and this uh she was like yeah you know and i i make tough decisions so i can get you know, I can get ahead and what I'm doing and all this stuff. And she aborted a bit. Ba- she, she said, I, and I, I, I aborted my baby and all this stuff. And this, this girl behind her just goes murderer. <laughs> you guys should look this up. And she's like, what the fuck? <laughs> it was a, but it was just such an assertion of just like, everyone knows abortions murder. Like no one, you don't need to argue all this stuff. And if they don't, they're so far gone that reason is no longer in their mind. They don't have a, a faculty of reason. There's no one who uses reason to assert that abortion's not murder. What they're doing is just it's it's ignoring, or they're so evil already that their their faculty of reason is so darkened that they can't think. Saint Paul talks about it in <coughs> Romans. He says like um, they became foolish in their dialogues, and it's, it's literally they became moronic. Like it's it's funny, yeah. In Greek, it's just moronos. It's just for stupidity. So just you know, like our word moron. So they became morons in their dialogues. 
Yeah. I think that's where we're at. We're just morons in our dialogues. Dummies. Turn on Tucker Carlson and then flip over to CNN, you know, Wolf Gazer or whatever. Yeah. And then it's just like you flip, flip, flip. And it's just like all of these channels are just moronic dialogue. Yeah. Because at the base of it, it's actually just power dynamics. And so it's just, and speech is no longer uh, debate and reason, but merely power dynamics. And therefore, you just, you get yours. You make your points, you know. I mean, it, that's why I don't watch, te- I mean, I never watch television. I never really watched anyways, it either, yeah. But I, it's too much for me. Like, I, all I see is just hatred, right? Jesus came in this world to teach how to love and how to be good people and how to be, how to strive for holiness, right? Where has our sense, I talked about this many times, where has our sense of urgency gone, right, as Catholics? Where has our sense of urgency gone? If a woman gets an abortion, I'm not going to go there and just damn her. You know what I mean? I'm not going to go over there. and Even though maybe that's sometimes what's needed, I'm not the kind of person that's going to scold and scold and scold. I'm going to be try to help, right, try to help that person understand. But we need to have this sense of urgency in our country to understand the flow of things, right? Like you said, abortion is mass genocide. It really is. It's mass genocide in its simplest form, right? And so if we even want to get close to talking about abolishing it, we need to have the idea that abortion is like Hitler killing millions of his own people. Like that's how severe it needs to get. That's how, that's how real it needs to be. Right. Because, and it's even worse because these babies have no, they, they're helpless. I mean, they can't do anything. They literally can't do anything. Right. And and so we need to have this sense of awareness. That's like, okay, we're just killing hundreds of thousands. I mean, this is per year. Hitler only did it for, so long a time this has been going on for forever and so like where why do we not have the idea that this is not that serious right why is that not in our minds all the time right why do we not have more clinics helping people like we do already but why don't we have more in investing and putting money in more and more to these kind of things i just i don't see change coming without this type of more serious mindset and almost like a Catholic mindset, right? I don't see change coming in our country unless we have God behind everything. How's it going to work? Okay. When Hitler was killing the Jews in 1940s, whatever, early 1940s, I'll say 41, 42, 43, Hitler seemed to be unstoppable until the Russians really started making him retreat. If you were anywhere near the Hitler sphere... In, in the Nazi sphere, like, we, we think now, like, I would never be a Nazi. I would never do whatever. But at the time, it seemed like the world was the Nazis and the world was Hitler. And there's no way you're going to stop them. And the Brits are going to soon lose. The French have already lost. The Americans aren't really getting involved. They're not, even if they did get involved, they wouldn't be that serious. Like, you don't realize what the cumulative effect of power does to a person so the lady who gets the abortion and is talking about like this is what i'm doing to get ahead and all this stuff she is working within a framework of evil power authorities who have constructed a system of an anti-christian system of liberalism 
right? And how culpable is she? Like, you don't have a lady like her who's so brazen and saying, like, I aborted my baby and this is just what I do to get ahead. You don't have that in medieval Paris, right? Why is that? Because the society is not, like, it's so shame. It would be so shameful. Like, it'd be so sinful because the whole power dynamic is based around Christianity. It's based around Catholicism. Now, what's our whole power structure and our power dynamics based around? Liberalism, which has all these strange terms like individual rights and representative democracy and all this stuff. But at its root, it's just power. It's just power. And so if you abort your baby, then, and the US government's fine with that, you know, it's like whatever, then you're just not bringing another, you know, economic burden into your life and you can be more productive for society. And they don't really care if it's a life or it's not, you know, like, Speaking of our our school here, the Golgatha. Yeah. So, look, like here's you know it, the Latins had the phrase corrupt, um, cor- corruptima optima pessima, that the corruption of the best is the worst, and all this type of stuff. What it is is we exist in hierarchy. We don't exist individually, uh, purely individually. We do exist individually. I do at least in a moment, at the moment. But um, you exist in a hierarchy, like. Take Franciscan, for example. The mind of Father Dave and his will affects all of our wills, right? If he decides a particular course of action in a particular spirit of of campus, that spirit pervades campus and that spirit pervades the wills of all of us because that's his particular role in the hierarchy of power. Now, at the highest levels like Trump and Biden and other administrative people, their wills affect our wills. It's this hierarchy of wills that goes all the way throughout, right? And you have this uh, responsibility. I mean, you even see it in your siblings and like your family. And like, if your dad is going off the rails, then that's going to hurt a lot of people in your family, right? So in a system built around liberalism and not around Christianity, you have situations like this lady who commits an abortion and millions of people commit abortion, uh, uh, do abortions every year, right? It's... um. It's not unrelated to the whole system. That's what I'm, I'm pointing to, like the U.S. flag and stuff. It's intimately related to the hierarchical mediation of all these things. So how do you address it? Okay, well, you can do things like try and tell women not to go into abortion clinics, right? Here's another thing. You can try to overthrow the United States government and replace it with something else. Or you could try and exit the system and do something completely different, right? Um, but this idea that we're going to continue to um, just appease Catholics by winning a conservative side or a liberal side. That's why we're in this post-ironic stage where it's just like, that's just so absurd. It's not going to happen. Yeah. I hope we're still live, by the way. <clears throat> Funny we're not. You could check on Twitch. Let me check. Yeah, check on it. <laughs> um, yeah, but you're right. I think... Um... Yeah. Um... The American experiment debate was really interesting. I thought a lot of stuff came out there. I mean, for me, I just focused on the military side. I didn't focus on the financial side. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I. Uh, the, the more we get away from, hmm, I don't know. The 20th century is just like, here's what happened when all these Christian nations finally don't become Christian. We're good. Nice. We're still alive. We're we're Great. Good. Do you have any comments? Uh, let's see here. Any comments from anybody? Any viewers? Probably zero viewers. That's what we're going for. Uh, but um, the fact 
<laughs> the 20th century is the unique time where you you figure out where all these post-Christian nations. Any comments, by the way? I have no comments, now. Okay, no comments. Any viewers? Zero? <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not okay. sure. Um, by the way, I'm Aquinas at the moment, and this is uh, Good old ghillie suit. Ghillie suit. That's what we're going for. We'll, we'll, we'll see if we accomplish it. Support the flag. <sighs> Uh, uh, see, that's what we're talking about. Okay. No, I mean that's that's what we're talking about. The 20th century is like okay, um, 1800s is like hey, let's all make nation states. 20th century is like hey, let's all fight each other and see what happens. Plus, let's do some genocide and nuclear bombs and stuff like that. And then there's like before World War II and during World War II, conventional warfare. Nazis are trying to take over the world. They get rep- repelled by the Russians and then eventually by the U.S. Then post that, it's the nuclear age, and you're ready to, and now you have to do a bunch of proxy wars. Korea, Vietnam, like, um, freaking, eventually Iraq and Afghanistan. But there's some Rambo! Other- yeah, it's all those proxy wars where you send American troops to just continue your ge- geopolitical struggle between Russians, Chinese, Iran, Saudi Arabia. Is it just me or did the United States just seem like it's in, it was involved in way too many wars? Way too many wars, way too much politics. The United States had a choice to make in World War I. Had a major choice to make. And it made it, which is we're either not going to get involved and we're going to be our own thing. We're just going to be over here. Europe can do it at once. And there's going to be a European dominant culture, or, or sorry, dominant country, but we ain't going to be a part of it. They said, screw that. We're going to be a part of it, and we're going to be number one. And we became number one, mostly because we have a huge populace of tons of people. We got uh, an enormous amount of land and resources. We got a lot of talent, and we got a lot of drive and a lot of optimism. And we're really we're willing to go fight in foreign countries and do what we're doing. And the American people are very easily propagandized. That's another very key part of this. The American people are not very cynical about government. They're very pro-government. They're very pro what we got, right? The the stars and stripes and the 4th of July and all these other stuff. We got this cool story about our nationalistic heritage. Nation states like we have them are a modern invention, baby. They are something <laughs> after a, a revolution, you know, revolutions. Revolution against what? Oh, like normal society. And now we have nation states with a totalization of violence, as Max Weber talks about. Like a totalization of violence in the state, a super state structure, a uh, uh, a legalistic uh, super state with a military empire based out of the model of like Napoleon did later on. It's like, oh, okay, that's what we're based on. Got it. Right. Uh, liberté, fraternité, equality, you know, all this type of stuff. Um, that's what America was. Now, World War I had this choice. Do we involve ourselves in imperialism all across the world? And we'd made similar choices with the Philippines and Cuba and other places. A firm, resounding, yes, we do. And we justified it by, I think, some sh- sinking of U.S. ships like the Lusitania and other places um, by German U-boats. And all of a sudden, we win the war and we get favorable trade deals. We do favorable things. We're doing fine. Great Depression happens. Bad stuff. Nazis come to power because of the Versailles Treaty. And all of a sudden, we got World War II. And we're supplying Brits and France like we have been. And Pearl Harbor happens. And now, universal justifier. Go to war, right? You got bombed in your own territory. Go to war in um, 
everywhere. And FDR signs the agreements. And now, post-war, when we win, the enemy is the Soviets because the Soviets want everything and we want everything. And so now we go to war in Korea. Now we go to war in Vietnam. Now we go to war in Iraq. Now we go to war in Afghanistan. Now we go to war in Syria. Now we go to war. And we've just been in this constant state of war. And in the in the homeland, you, it's just a Democrat versus Republican thing. And you just let them go back and forth. But the whole time, the real battle is just supporting the military empire you've built up all along. Welcome to Modern Politics. Yeah. <clears throat> it's interesting, you know, to see what the world would be like if there was no world powers. Right? Imagine this. No just imagine that. <clears throat> imagine if you can. That's a terrible song, by the way. Each country has their own systems. You don't have one massive country ruling them all. Not one ring to rule them one all. One ring. One Kellen and Alex all. show to rule them all. Uh, you find all of your find all of your information on the Kellen and Alex show. This is it. We provide truth. You're a little bit farther behind than I am on the whiskey side. I, I'm enjoying these, man. These are really good. This one has a really, really nice honey flavor. Yeah, honey and like oakiness. This is uh, Maker's 46. The other one's very straightforward. It's rye. It's a... Uh, uh, wild turkey 101 straightforward delicious tasty really good man <clears throat> um gotta celebrate dude dude we gotta celebrate um cheers cheers yeah and a lot of whack ideas you know that's what's another, all about i mean another thing that amazes me too is before i went to franciscan i was at my, my previous college and uh, i took this public speaking class got an a in it <clears throat> let's go um but we had this one lecture one day, and we were talking about the concept of persuasion. And so we watched a video of a United States Army, um, like a, a video showing, you should, this is why you should join the Army. They have all these different like sets, right, for all the different commercials that they do. <clears throat> So they have a guy standing there. They have all this music in the background playing like, duh, duh, duh. and you know, they have like this, it's weird. Have you seen those commercials where they have like one set and then all of a sudden it goes to another thing. Like there's this guy <laughs> screaming and he jumps and he like all of a sudden falls into like the water and he's climbing and stuff yeah, or whatever. Well, they were showing that and you just get the sense of like, this is really not what it's like. <clears throat> like the select few are able to even get to that point. Right. And there's so much propaganda. There's so much propaganda in the in the army. Oh my god. The navy, the it's air force, it is all propaganda. Now I'm not saying that there's good stuff in there, but in like the programs, but I'm just saying the fact that they go that far in trying to recruit people and and, and literally showing it's almost falsity. Like and just literally showing that it's it just shows you the 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 desperation that our country has to keep our military force on top like seriously great point and and another problem too is like i guess this is a good thing if you don't want hobos in society but 
we have kids that come out that are rascals, right? They're coming out of high school and they're druggies and they're doing all this different stuff. So just put them in the military. They'll shape up. They'll fix them up. A lot of times it doesn't work. And why, why does this happen, right? And why do we have just... I don't really know how to say it. It's just like our military is so, it's so dominant, but it just seems like there's not a lot of proper good persuasion that goes on. There's a lot of propaganda and it's kind of almost scary to see how powerful our military is. I mean, seriously. It's based on deception. <clears throat> yeah. Ultimately. yeah. And, and so propaganda is just another deception. Like it's, it's telling you, Man, you remember when we read Smedley Butler? You oh, my that? gosh. War is a oh, racket. War is hey, a racket. Okay, everyone watching the live stream, which is probably thousands of people, and people listening right now, please go read War is a Racket by Smedley Butler. He gets it. He was a World he War I general, it. and he understood, he understood that basically war is the way by which you, you, you count profits and blood, basically. That was his phrase. That um, <clears throat> war is meant for the rich. It's it's meant to make people wealthy, make governments wealthy. It's it's a business. <clears throat> and this, you could also look up Eisenhower's farewell address where he talks about the, excuse me, the military industrial complex. And it's this: we built this society based on military, and we have all these industries: Boeing, Lockheed Martin. Um, name 10 more i mean uh blackwater like contracting where there's billions of dollars involved in just military pursuits and it requires those companies require the the united states military to continue to go to war perpetually and they do right otherwise those industries would die and the reason it's profitable is because when they go on military expedi- uh, uh adventures they make those that money back, recouping it by their their dominance military. They get a good trade deal. They extract some resources. Look up. Um, also, you can look up Honeywell and um, Dick Cheney and the Iraq. Honeywell was his oil company, and he was the CEO of it while he was the vice president. And he made billions of dollars on Honeywell. You can look that up. It's all part of this military industrial complex. So, okay, people listening, they're thinking, wow, Alex is so anti-America. Hell yeah, I am. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, what I'm not, what I, what I am against is what we've built. And the fact that people think this is some Catholic, exp- like you can redeem something that never was intended to be Christian to begin with. Like the founders were not Christians. They were deist. Some of them were kind of like flirting with kind of atheism, kind of a practical atheism. The founders knew that they were trying to build a system of this kind of representative democracy that was going to work as long as people were fairly Christian and fairly good meaning. And they were pretty optimistic about what they did, right? Washington and Franklin. And now people like Hamilton knew that unless you had a, a very strong federal government, you're not going to be able to keep this people together. People like Jefferson were thinking you need, you, you can basically have this kind of subsistence environment where people just farm and they do their own thing and you don't need a federal, like super federal government. 
Hamilton was a little bit more understanding of international ways. And he said, well, if we're going to make this secular thing, we're going to need to be pretty, you know, like strong federally. And you had that debate, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists and whatever else. Well, well, sure as hell, the Federalists won. They won the argument. And they continued to win the argument throughout the years. And the federal government became dominant and still is dominant. Now, the uniquely 20th century twist is this imperialist World War I, World War II thing where we get tons and tons of property and favorable trade deals and then become a global empire. Um, and I said it in the debate, we no longer represent what we originally stood for. And it's it's a powerful phrase, but it's like, yeah, no, that's exactly it. Like, we're, we're not the America of the past. We're not the America of the first 13 colonies or whatever. I wish we were the I wish we were the America of 1776 almost. Yeah. Can you imagine how great that would be? Oh yeah. People mm-hmm. ask, you know, Trump's slogan was make America great again. A lot of people ask when was America great? I say 1776. I say America was great then. I think we've kind of lost our passion for liberty and for freedom. And Let me let me push you on that. <clears throat> yeah. Liberty and freedom, they're like Hmm. They seem to be the terms that like justify everything. And it's like, um, hmm. it's not according to Christianity. Like, okay, having medieval Paris, for example, Notre Dame being in the center, the, the, um, the bishops and the clergy and like the whole church, like the whole country's Catholic. They're living in a Catholic mindset. They're living in this religious way. Now, Here's the the uniquely thing, uh, the uniquely modern problem. Like you mentioned, not being able to go to daily mass and all that type of stuff. Going to daily mass was a thing that only happened for the religious. Like I don't understand. There's this equating of being a good Catholic with being like ultra religious all the time. That is not the correct way to view it. In fact, going to mass even weekly and receiving the commun- communion even weekly was not. Uh, a thing that the laity had very often. It was a thing that only the religious could do. The assumption was that everyone's Catholic. You're all living this mindset. Some people are living it more, more uh, fervently. Fervently. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I need to drink more whiskey. Um, but m- some people are living it more strongly. Let's say in the monastery or like whatever else. But the laity are just trying to. Uh, yeah, go ahead if you want it. Oh, well, yeah, plenty. It's really good. Which one do you want? Uh, just bring both over, but (laughs) this idea that you need to, um, do holy hours every day and, um, go to mass every day and whatever else, like, that's great. If you can do it, wonderful, but your whole society, like your perfect Catholic society is not going to be that. Mm -hmm. This is a thing that people don't understand. Your perfect Catholic society is one in which people are baptized. Everything's normalized. Chesterton said this. Um, people don't learn what you teach. People learn what you assume when you teach. Oh, okay. So what's different in what you assume than what you teach? So, right. I may teach you a million things about Catholic whatever, but if I'm assuming all these things, you're like, oh, this is how I'm supposed to think. And then I can start thinking about it. Okay. D.C. Schindler made a really interesting point at the conference, the New Polity Conference, that's very along with those lines, which is power is not persuasion. 
power and a, sorry, authority and power. Authority is what's assumed in the system. If I have to persuade you to assent to my authority, it's not authority. If I have to coerce you to assent to my authority, it's not authority, it's power. United States government, do, do they have to persuade us that I need to pay my taxes? No. If they don't, if I don't pay my taxes, they have to coerce me. They're just going to come and well, arrest me. Well, I mean, I mean, they... So uh, their well. authority in me paying my taxes, <clears throat> and let's say getting drafted or some other, some other thing, their authority is assumed in the system. It is not proven. No one, like, no one's running around proving why you should be an American citizen to you. You're, it's assumed in the system you're in. So is there something wrong in that assumption? No, I mean, that's, that's the nature of authority, right? So in a Catholic society, that authority is assumed. It doesn't have to be proved to people all the time. You don't need to prove that you're a Catholic by going to Mass every day. You don't need to prove you're a Catholic yeah. by so many external forms. It's assumed everyone's Catholic. Like here at Franciscan, it's assumed everyone's Catholic. That that type of mentality is not one which has to demonstrate itself all the time, but rather one in which it's just what it is. Like everyone's just Catholic. Like you don't need to prove that to me every day. I don't need to go to mass every day to show you that I'm Catholic. And like all those external things are wonderful and I think they're great. And obviously, you know, going to mass as frequently as you can, reception of the Eucharist, going to confession, praying the rosary, whatever else, these things are excellent. And you should do them. And I think it's it's wonderful. But properly, it's meant to be a social thing. It's not meant to be just a private thing. It's not meant to be an individual thing. It's meant to be a societal thing. Like your whole society is just legitimately Catholic. And your family is Catholic. And like when you grew up, did your parents have to prove Catholicism was right to you the whole time? It's such um, Like when people are like, you know, I'll let my child decide what he wants for the religion and with politics and other stuff. It's like, no, it's it's assumed in everything your parents are saying to you. They're assuming a Catholic religious worldview. Mm-hmm. They're not proving it to you because their authority is within that. Mm-hmm. So, so I, that's why hierarchy has such a big deal is because we are <clears throat> beings that exist in hierarchy. We're beings that exist in authority and power structures and these dynamics that go all the way up, right? And... Um, and so if the corruption at the top, if, if the top is using that hierarchical authority and mediation ev- in an evil sense and getting you to believe evil things, then, yeah, stuff's messed up at that point in time. Yeah, I guess, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's interesting that you're talking about this concept of assumption, right? Um, so we don't need to, if we're, okay. If we're assuming something, right, where is the stability in that assumption, right? Because if we're assuming that everybody, if this is a Catholic environment, then we don't need to teach it, right? I mean, we do need to teach it to some extent, but we don't need to prove need it to like prove you were it. saying. Yeah. So so you don't, you an assumption you've already ascended to. Right. But where is the, but ascended to what? It's, it's a social ascent. This right. is where I'm using my own terminology here. So- Tread lightly, but I guess it's, I'm saying that to myself. Uh, <laughs> you've already assented to something that shapes a worldview, which is Catholicism. Now, everything that comes 
evidentially that comes to you later is within that assumption. Like you interpret the data with the assumption, right? Things come to you like, oh, this particular event happened. You're interpreting that in a Catholic framework because it's already assumed. No one's proving it to you. It's the basis for all your next judgments. It's also the basis for your further rational uh, discourse. It's like, it's the lens through which you view reality. It's this Catholic lens. It's what's assumed in all these things, right? And you can get to further specification of what that actually looks like. But in a properly Catholic society where everyone's Catholic, it's like, they don't have to be continually proving it to themselves. They don't have to be continually like, I'm super religious and you're not, whatever. It's just like, it's the air they breathe. They're, they breathe in. I'm still Catholic, right? They don't need to prove it to anybody. That's, that's the whole thing we were talking with Joe about Catholic media. I'm like, just make good media. Like, you don't have to make it like, I'm Catholic media and I'm, everything's right in my movie. That's stupid. That's like, you don't need everything perfect to, to try and demonstrate this. Just, Assume it. Just assume it already, right? We need. That's why we need more Catholic leaders. That's why we need more Catholics who are like willing to embrace those assumptions and say like, "This is just how we're going to live," and you're either with me or you're not, and whatever. Like, okay, fine. Here's how we're going to live, and we're going to try it. I think this genuine experiment in Catholic, uh, in Catholic culture, this genuine Catholic experiment <clears throat> with Studentville, it could it could be that. It could be that. Maybe I'm too optimistic. Uh, Twitch chat will let us know. But, I mean, uh, there's nothing wrong with being optimistic, but <clears throat> I think there's a difference between like being optimistic and being realistic, right? Like you can be optimistic and you can hope for the best, but as I was going back to, we take optimism and realism, right? Optimistic that abortion will change. Realistic? No, it's probably not going to happen, right? I mean, we've, unless some drastic change happens that might never come. I mean, I think that the problem with the world right now is that we have so many people that are just not desperate. Like they're, they're not like, maybe it's just different from where I grew up from, but coming here in Steubenville, like I, I don't mean to be mean, but it's a dump. Like it's, it sucks here. And I see a lot of people that are just lazy and don't want to work and don't want to just, they just want to sit around. I can't relate to that, right? I can't relate to the person, you know, bite the hand that feeds you, right? I can't relate to that. Why do we not have this sense of urgency anymore in Catholicism? And I've, I've talked about this a lot and I feel like that's the answer to all our struggles, right? That's the answer to the problems that we're having is why are we not, why is every single person not more critical about certain things like abortion, homosexual marriage, all these different things, or even just our military power, right? I was so shocked when I heard that Father Dave went to Iraq, <clears throat> to it was Iraq, right? He went, yeah, he went to Iraq, He's and he was, you. he went to Iraq, and he was just doing. Uh, he and he visited the, the Highway of Death. Oh, maybe. <laughs> Do you know about that? Yeah, I know the Highway of Death. Yeah. Um, but um, done by Americans. Uh, little known fact, but 
Yeah. You had all these retreating Iraqi forces and you just had like plane after plane bombing them and blowing them up in this just highway of death. Death. It was pure death. Um, Where's our sense of urgency? I don't know where it went. Will we ever get it back? Maybe. I don't know. Get urgent. Get, <laughs> get urgent. Get urgent. Get help. Yeah. <laughs> um, seek some help. Seek yeah. help. Um, the Kalanow show is here to give it to you. But um, we are not professional counselors. We are not even unprofessional we're, we're counselors. We're not even amateurs. We're, <laughs> we're definitely ultra, ultra, ultra amateur. Um, yeah, um, man. I, you know, hmm, scary. Scary how the world is right now. People don't realize it either. People don't look at it hard enough. I mean, if we really... I keep coming back to abortion because it's the perfect example. It is really, yeah. If we... It's just so it, it's, it, it's a perfect example in... A, a systematic sense, a systemic sense, yeah, and a perfect example in like a religious sense, because can it be changed? Yes, it can. It can be changed, but why has it not yet? Right? Is death a big thing? Is death in our culture a big thing? Right? Abortion's just been normalized. It just happens. You go down and you can get it. You'll be out of there and then. Go down to the street, get an abortion, you'll be out in there a couple hours. Death. Death in our culture has been so normalized, it's unbelievable. Halloween is the celebration, right, in the Catholic sense back then, is our victory over death, right? It's a celebration. Mm -hmm. And so... Like All Saints Day, All Souls Day, yeah. We should just have Halloween every single day to remind us. Like, a single, how, yeah. You know, like, right. and nothing's going to come. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing's going to come if we don't have this sense of urgency and this sense of real realism in our lives, right? It's, it, it's amazing to me that we have. Things like just death in any form, and we just completely disregard it, right? Hmm. And and it's true. And it's death has become such a normalized thing in our culture, and it's it's scary. Yeah. It's really scary because should you and I be thinking about abortion every day, right? Should we th- should we be thinking about how can we change this? Yeah, I mean, I think we should. And I don't think that we should obsess on it, but I think that should be in the back of our mind, right? Ronald Reagan had a great quote. He said, I've noticed that those who support abortion have already been born. I was talking about that with a friend of mine that um, I don't really talk to anymore because she just, it wasn't right for me. It wasn't good for me to, uh-oh. Hello. No, America! America! <laughs> Is Sorry, our American flag is falling down at the moment. Do you have more tape? Uh, is it going to fall? Yeah, it's going to fall. No. Stay there. See, we talked about That's the American okay. empire, and it's kind now of just it's, getting... Now it's crumbling. <laughs> and we're not too sad about that. Um, but uh, I was talking to her. I was like, she was saying, you know, I told her literally, if you, su- you support abortion, right? I said that, and she said, yeah. And I said, does your mom support abortion? 
And she was like, uh, she didn't know what to say because I was talking to the person that was allowed to live. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just going to end it with this. We need to become more aware of how actual, actually prevalent death is in our culture. And that is something that we need to focus on. That's something that we need to be real considerate about is mass genocide, like you said, is being conducted in our country every day. And we don't even think about it. Right? Yeah. And so it's something that we have to put our eye towards, something that we have to work towards. Yeah. And... um it's just it's just it like it's it's something that we have to do it's it's our duty as americans to think about that and i know we're getting really patriotic and everything we have one flag here and you can't see but we have another flag right there um yeah it's good to be patriotic but it's also good to realize too how your culture is actually doing how messed up we are have you ever um strive for perfection but you'll probably never get there you ever held a a real human skull? I haven't. So I oh, have on two occasions. I, ha- I haven't really. Yeah. <clears throat> what was it like? It's always strange. Um, I mean, it's it's pretty similar to this skull we got here. People I, on live I stream remember, can see it. I remember going to Pearl Harbor, and I remember taking a boat ride and seeing skulls in the water. Seriously, I remember that. I was kind of a creepy. Experience. That was vivid. Skulls are kind of a weird thing, right? Because, um. There's no eyes. And like out of all the things of the face that clue you into like a person's soul, you know, it's like the eyes. It's the eyes. Because you always look at the eyes, right? Other parts of the face, you know, there's different cues and whatever. There's no flesh on a skull. It's just you just see the structure where there's just bones, where the eyes used to be, the brain used to be housed, the uh, the mandible and the, the jaw going up and down the nasal structure and stuff it's it's scary stuff but like you hold it and you're like this was a person in this skull like that's where they were housed like their their eternal their their spirit you know breathe through this material thing and it's just so humbling um yeah i mean those those babies had those same schools you know just in a very small form, very deformed. It's uh, so sad. Way. Is it not? Is and it also not truly like sad? People in war that we 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 bomb and we kill and we whatever they you know they had the same. They were. Um, it's um, hmm. killing another human being, ending their life. Like I can't imagine. Such a such a scary proposition, and eventually all of us are going to end up like this, which is also another scary proposition too. You know, like you mentioned, like death being prevalent in society. Um. So, you know, I I've been thinking a lot about Saint Paul because I'm, I'm taking this Saint Paul course with Dr. Hahn, and uh, Paul is very eschatological. He he's thinking about the end of this age, and he's thinking about the next age and the age to come. And a lot of it is, uh, brethren, the time is dr- drawn short, you know, has, has grown short, that our Lord is coming soon. And people criticize Paul and they say, oh, well, he was wrong. Christ didn't come in the first century. He didn't come even in our century. Like, Paul's just wrong. 
No, 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 no. There's a bigger point here. You're going to be worm food in most likely around 70 years. You're going to be a pile of bones, Kel Link. Death. And 50 years after that, no one's going to care about you, remember you, or give a shit, right? And same with me. It's the exact same with me. The appointed time has drawn short brethren. Like, we, we read that now and we think, wow, Paul messed up. Like, he thought the second coming was coming. <clears throat> no, man, he's just talking about human life. Like, check this skull out. This is what we become. And we're going to become that very shortly. Um, what, what was that line in, um, in Hamlet? Um, <laughs> what was it? Uh, life is a, is, a, is a play told by an idiot, you know? Um, it is scary. And you know what's even crazier to think, and it's just wild, is that all this is going to be dust someday. All this, everything we have here is going to be gone one day. And it's going to be dust. Everything's just going to be... We don't know when that's going to come. It could come in 10 seconds. We might not finish this podcast. Jesus might be coming soon. Cheers to that. I mean, cheers to that. I'm down. Yeah. Jesus, come soon. Um, that, that's the, the prayer in Revelation, is uh, Lord Jesus Maranatha. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, we should be praying for Christ to come because he's coming in judgment. And uh, is sh- it- he'll be judging this piece of hunk of. <laughs> We've been very censored in this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> you know? Anyways. I mean, we still got three hours to go, probably. We do. Yeah. We, we have do. a long, we got plenty of topics. Hope for you guys, guys are having chilling with us. Drop us some comments down there. Kellen yeah. will uh, maybe see them. I- I'll read them. Don't worry. Don't um, worry about it. Chief Justice, who's that? Soon. Soon, dude. Yeah, Maran Tha. And that word is really peculiar, right? It's like, really, you want Christ to come soon. Okay. And and he he says also, I am coming soon. And there's this word parousia, where it's it's just usia means just being, and par means next to. So the par usia is just the next to being. We still live, by the way. Yeah, we are. Um, we are good. So Christ is still with us. This is the really amazing thing about the Eucharist, right? That Christ never really left us. He had that that phrase in John, um, John thirteen about like, sorry, John fourteen. I will not leave you orphans. I will be with you. And um, and he is, and he still is with us in the Eucharist. He's here in the port right now. I I think we underemphasize how uniquely human all these things are as well. Not just divine, right? Like Christ never really left us. He's here in the Eucharist. And we have these superstructures of sin, like the Tower of Babel. This is like another Tower of Babel. Like it's you get all these nations together and you try and build this kingdom that goes that stretches to the heavens. That's the USA. Right? All these different people come from all these different places and they build this like Tower of Babel. I'm not about it. You know what I mean? And um, hmm. Christianity is trying to go beyond this and really make um, make it a Christian nation, right? I don't know how it ends up. Nobody does. And I mean, that's the thing, right? Is Is to keep in hope, right? To stay in hope. Yeah, it's it's crazy to think because not only is all of this going to be gone one day, but 
it says, where does it say in Genesis or Revelation that Jesus is going to come on some big ass clouds and just like a lot of sun coming, a lot of shining. It's going to happen. Yep. Like that's going to happen. Yep. A wild thing to me was I was, I've been watching The Chosen. I definitely recommend it. It's really good. It's a TV show about basically the life of Jesus and it's really good. It's a breakthrough. And, uh, <clears throat> It just, it's a, you know, Jesus comes down and he is man incarnate and he stays with the apostles for some time and then he leaves. He says, I'm going to my father. That, I can't, I still can't grasp that. Like, how can a person go from earth and all of a sudden just leave? I'm going to my father. I'm going to my father, father, your father. To my God and your God. And he, that is him. That is him. Dude, for the end of this podcast, we just read John. We should, yeah. It's right up there on the right. Yeah. Um, and, and It's so, just so amazing. Can you grab the Bible real quick? Yeah. It's just right there at the uh, far left. Yeah, open it up. And then at the left, Holy Bible. There you go. This is yeah. the saving grace. We, we did this at the one podcast to rule them all as well. We read Job. You remember we read Job? Yep. Why don't people... Pay attention to the Bible. Like, I don't I know. get it. What the I, heck? I know. It, it's because people, people are caught up in the ways of the world. They don't have time for the Bible. There you go. The world. I don't have time for blank. I don't have time for the Bible. I don't have time for John. I don't have. T- I don't have time for Job. All I have time is. All I have time for is whiskey and the Kel and Alex show. Okay. Come on, people. Come on, read your scripture. Read your scripture. Okay, I'm going to read some, and then you you comment as I go. Let not your hearts be troubled. Yep. <laughs> Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself. That where I am, you also may be. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know the way where you are going. We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. Henceforth, you know him and have seen him. Jesus. Just that that image of like Christ going to prepare a place for you. Like I'm just like about to cry right now. Like, I know I mean, like, <laughs> it's insane. It's it's a, it makes you want to cry because it's just like Christ is going to prepare a place for you, and He's not going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave you orphans. And He says to Thomas, He's Thomas is like, Lord, I have no idea where you're going. How am I supposed to know the way by which you're going to go there? And then Christ says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that's what really makes like the Gospels, right? Is the curiosity of the apostles, right? The cu- <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting, isn't yeah. it? No, it's, truly, it's yeah. the curiosity because interesting, yeah. Jesus, yeah, it, Jesus it always has the answer, <laughs> but they're always they're always like, they're I mean, Jesus, al- Jesus is always criticizing them. Oh, you have little faith. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> they're like, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going to the SPD down the street? No, I'm going to my father. And he's like, Tom- Thomas is like, what? What? <laughs> like, right. where are you going? Yep. Uh, so the curiosity of the apostles and the unintelligence of the apostles is what builds the gospels. It's true. It's true. And, you know, they always say, oh, you have little faith, right? Especially mm. Thomas. Thomas is... Come on, Thomas. Thomas. was... <laughs> don't be a doubting Thomas. Thomas was the one that said, I will not believe... Unless you, I stick my fingers in your side, two fingers, dip, dip, yep, and falls down. My Lord and my God, my Lord and my God. Okay, my Lord and my God. Amen. And, and you know, it's just like the curiosity is what builds the is what build the gospels, and. Uh, <sighs> It's just <laughs> Jesus is constantly reminding the apostles of how little faith they had. Funny? <laughs> it's, it's funny. It's really funny. And Jesus knows d- deep down that they're trying and they're trying to understand. But God is so infinite and God is so masterful that they don't understand it. Yeah. And, and and like, anyways. But yeah. And so the uh, the apostles. They were scared that Jesus said, I'm going to leave. Jesus died, got uh, abstained. No, not abstained. Attained the worst death imaginable to man. Yeah. And he comes back. Yep. And they see him. And then he leaves again. Right? The uncertainty of where Jesus was going to be back in the old times, right? In Galilee, in Nazareth, in Judea. The uncertainty of what Jesus was going to, what he was going to be, where, what he was going to do. Even said it in, in an amazing homily. I forget by who, but it was one of the friars. He was like, dude, sometimes Jesus moved on. Like people wanted to be healed, but he moved on. Jesus can do whatever he wants. He can magically appear here and magically appear there. But he didn't do that, right? And so the point is, is that we have to have faith. We have to have hope. We have to have trust. Faith, hope, and trust, right? The three biggest things because they take your power away from you. They take your ability to have certainty away from you. Because what is faith, hope, and trust? It's all built around, well, you need to have faith. You need to have hope. You need to have trust. We're taking away the certainty of the situation, and we're putting it on the back burner. Mm -hmm. And now you have to trust. You have to hope. You have to have faith that this is going to come around. Right? And so taking away the certainty of the situation is what builds the situation. I'm going to continue a little bit. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and we shall be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you do not know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. There's another example. Have you been around me so long, and you still don't know me? Like, it's, come on, guys. (sighs) 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? There you go. The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these he will do. Because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. There you go. Oh that's 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 where the anything anything in my name. That's I will where the do hope it. and the trust and the faith. If you comes ask in. anything in my name, I will do it. What the heck? Yeah. What if we as Christians actually took that seriously? We don't. We don't. We don't ask Jesus for anything sometimes. I mean, I ask God for things all the time, right? And it's I'm, it's not that I'm expecting it to like come in in a you know in a golden basket with you know wrapped <laughs> wrapped in freaking yeah uh, wrapping paper and it's a present. Like no, it doesn't happen like that. Sometimes you'll never freaking see the thing, but. It's these situations where it's uncertain. And Jesus, again, is saying, have you not been or no? Have you not done this? Have you not been around me this entire time? The clues to life are very simple, but you just have to open your ears and listen, right? And it's just something that happens. It's something that you have to be aware of and listen to. Um. But yeah, it, it's it's amazing. The the gospels are truly, truly incredible. Truly incredible. <laughs> Gordon truly, Ramsay speaks. Truly I say to you, he who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. This is so insane. Christians are going to do greater works than Christ did while he was on earth. And greater works than these he will do because I because I go to the Father. Like Christ, here's the thing. Yeah, I think we Tell stopped like, live streaming. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, well, regardless. Uh It's still going, right? I mean, I mean still- the, the the regular podcast is, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> We're doing more works through Christ than he did on earth. That's yeah, insane. Talk about that while I fix stuff. That's insane. More. Say it one more time. More works than what we've done. You know, there was that one crazy line. I don't know who who it was, but um, it ends. Some of the gospels ended it, and it says, um, Jesus had done more miracles than every book in this world could hold. Than every book in this world. Man, it's just truly unbelievable. Like, it's truly incredible. Miracles happen every single day, and we don't really see them, right? But we do see the impact that they have. I think I'm starting to slowly understand how powerful miracles actually are. Because a miracle, by term, is something that cannot be explained scientifically. It is a phenomenon that happens... And uh, we just have to trust that it that it's 
it is from, I mean, it is from God, but we just have to trust in it, right? <clears throat> we have been given the mission of evangelizing to the world. We have been given the mission to uh, do miracles. God has given us the authority to do miracles. It's just a fact. He's done that. He's left us. I mean, God is not physically with us, like walking around as a person, but he is with us now. And um, I think we're back. And uh, Live streaming. And it's our duty... It's our duty to do miracles, to perform miracles. It's our duty. Isn't that funny? It is. It is funny, man. I don't know if this is still... Is it back up? Hope so. Um, John 15, man. If you love me, you will keep the commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be with you. You know him, and he dwells with you and will yep. be with you. That's all we need, really, in this world. That's all we need is Jesus to be with us and to dwell with us because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us, right? Exactly. And so we can change the world through Christ who strengthens us. Through him who gives me strength. It's amazing. And um, it's just... God has given us that authority to do miracles. He has given us that authority to do that. And we can do that. We oftentimes think like, oh man, I don't, I can't work a miracle. The fact that you get up every morning and you say some prayers is, is a miracle in itself. Because yep. you're praying for the world. You're praying for goodness to happen. And things will happen if you do that. Right? People don't understand that anymore. People think that you have to have these just big events to really create something. But it really, it happens in the little things in life. The beauty yeah. comes from the little things in life. Exactly. And God has given us the ability to do little things. Yep. That's how that works. We got to read more scripture, man. Let's read more, dude. Let's do it. Let's read for a little another hour, then we'll talk about more stuff. I will not leave oh, you oh, desolate. We're, oh, we're, we're good. We're good. We're live. We are live. We are okay. Live. I only want to go maybe 10 more minutes max. Oh, really? Good. Yep. Okay. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see you no more. But you will say to me, because I live, you will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Wow. How do you comprehend that? I mean. I cry. I know. You know, there's very few things that can make me cry. But like reading this. I want to cry. Yeah. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. I just, I, I don't have any words for it. I really don't. He's with you. He's true. It's a physical presence with you, in your heart, with you. Isn't that not amazing? Is that, I mean, is that not what we've, what we've learned at Franciscan? 
to have to learn how to understand Christ with us. Like you can learn all the different stuff about, you know, Christology, Mariology, Angelology, everything that God created. But just think about him dwelling with you. Like he's with you. We F up all the time. We do stupid crap you all the time. You aren't kidding. And God's in there laughing at us, but True. he's always there with us. He's given us the authority to do miracles. He's given the, us the authority to do good in this life. And we have that. We just have to choose it. He's given us all the tools. Christianity, Catholicism, the one true saving faith, right? Yep. He's given us that. We have to execute it now. Everything that we've talked about with the abortion, with the military, you know, the government, the empire, we can all change what needs to be done and God has given us that ability to do that. I'll read that again. I will not leave you desolate. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. You will live also. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. It's just like... It's amazing. How do we just ignore this? Like, it's so how does How does the world ignore this? Half the world doesn't even know what the Bible is. And then the other half doesn't read it. The other half doesn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like one half has it, one half doesn't. The other half doesn't read it anyway, so it doesn't matter. That's just like. Read the Bible, people. Basic information before leaving earth. Jesus answered, if a man loves me, he will keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Can you imagine making your home with Christ? The Father and the Son make their home with you. Wow. Like the eternal trinity. Like the one who made like the entire universe. Wow. They make their home with you through Christ. That's insane. That's insane. In the entire universe. And they know all of it. And they said, um, if you keep my word, I'll make your home. I'll make my home with you in your particular circumstance, you know, which is, you know, very mediocre and stupid and whatever else it is. Um, He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. And bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave you. I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I go away, I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. 
He who has no power over me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Rise, let us go from here. Rise. John's gospel is just like, blows your mind every single time. I mean, you just sit here and just like, what? Okay, I'll keep going. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of mine that bears no fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I in you. You are already made clean by the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. (laughs) I wish Christ would like, you know, temper his language a little bit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Cheers to that. (laughs) Cheers to that. Apart from Christ, neither me nor you can do nothing. Ouch. <laughs> um yeah, it's true. It, it, we can't we can't we can't do anything because everything that we want to do it should be inspired by Christ. Through Christ, with Christ, in Christ. Everything that we want to do, right? Should yeah. be inspired through him who made the all word. things. The incarnate word. It's insane. It's insane. It really is. It really is how how amazing our faith is and how we have just all the the nooks and crannies and everything that we have. We have it all. We are the one true saving faith. The one faith. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> That's how it works. I am the vine, and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Far apart from me, you can do nothing. If a man does not abide in me, he is cast forth as a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, and whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. It's so... I, I promise I won't cry if you don't cry. How do you understand the diction with this? Because, like, <laughs> Jesus is the Father, right? He is. He's the image of the Father, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, how... It's just crazy because he just talks about himself like in in a humble way, right? He's talking, but he's speaking the truth, but it's him. It's him who's saying these things. 
I abide in the Father. Like Jesus is the Father. They abide in each other. They're one. Right? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Kellen Alex show. <laughs> it's just like, show. oh man, I'm about to cry. It's just like, <laughs> as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. It's just like, uh, the Father loves the Son with an <clears throat> eternal love. And so has the Son loved us, his, his Christians. Abide in my love. He's like, don't abandon it. It's like, I loved you with this love. That's what got you here. Like, don't abandon it. Like, embrace it. Embrace it. Like, the son embraces the love of the father. <clears throat> yeah. Yes, he does. Love is the greatest of all these things. These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I, do, I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I declare to you, you do not choose me, but I chose you and apportioned you that you should be, that you should go and hear and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you to love one another. <clears throat> what the heck? Jesus gives us the command to love each other. And that's the greatest of all these things is love. And the greatest part about love and the greatest type of love is sacrificial love. He who laid down his life for his friends. Right? And um, Jesus did that and he died for us. And yeah, and, and it's it's truly amazing to kind of just really explore and think about what it means when, you know, to lay down your life for your friends. Do you give it up? Give it everything up. Give everything up for your friends. Like, it's amazing. It truly is. And uh, it's something that needs to be cherished and something that needs to see be seen as valued. Because it's what life is really all about, you know? It's true. John's words are just so profound. That's just insane. Yeah, it is. No longer do I call you servants. You did not choose me, but I chose you and apportioned you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. This I command you to love one another. If the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word, word that I gave you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. 
But also this they will do to you on my account, because they do not know him who sent me, the Father. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done this among them, the works which they had not done, they would not have sinned. But now they have seen and have hated both me and my Father. It is to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. But when the counselor comes whom I should send from the Father, even the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. And you also are witnesses because you have borne with me, you have been with me from the beginning. From the beginning? From the beginning, we have been with Jesus. That's a really powerful quote, I think, when he says, know that if people hate you in the world, they hated me first, right? That's so powerful because we would have nothing without Jesus, right? And Jesus comes and we have everything with him. And if people hate you, it's because they hated the one who started it, which was Jesus. He started the, you know, the um, the reclamation, the the reclaiming of the world, right? And um, I think that involves with everything that we've said tonight, with every topic that we've talked about. Ultimately, what does it come down to? It comes down to Jesus reclaiming the world. Jesus said that he will come again. The, just the thought of that amazes me. Like the thought of that is so wild and insane that Jesus will come again. And the manner that they talk about it makes it even more amazing. I mean, it talks about it in Revelation, right? Yep. Can you go to Revelation yes, and find where where it says that, where Jesus comes? He will come again. That's just insane. And everybody's going to see him. Even demons will bow down because they have to. Okay? They have to. <clears throat> okay? <laughs> it's just... It blows my mind that even demons, they listen to him. They listen to him. They have to because he's God. Oh, I got to read this. How does that work? I got to read this, Kellen Lake. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. He who sat upon it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name inscribed which no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. (laughs) And the armies of heaven, wearing fine linen, white and pure, followed him on white horses. From his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to strike the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the wine presses of the wrath of the fury of God the Almighty. (laughs) On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, Kings of Kings and Lord of Lords. (laughs) That is so powerful. That is so amazing. That is so brutal. That is just unbelievably brutal. I mean, it's it's pure beauty. 
it's like the pinnacle of beautiful speech. It is. It's the pinnacle of beautiful speech. I agree. Rod of iron, cloth draped in blood. Yeah. <laughs> like what? I'm right there with you, dude. Like what? Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. what? Yeah, what? How can how can demons down bow down to God? They must, right? Yeah. That's the thing. They must. They don't have a choice. They must. In themselves, they are they are evil and demonic. But whenever God is called, they must bow down to Him. Like what? <laughs> what? A, a demon must in they must not they are required and must bow down to the almighty god a thing that is in willingly evil and chose that must bow down to the almighty god it just shows you that power has or evil has no power yep. like if if the pinnacle of evil things, a demon, Satan, has to bow down at the name of God, then why do we lose hope in anything? I agree. Why do we lose hope in anything? Why? Why have we lost hope in our world these days? Why? If people just read this, they'll be transformed forever. Like It's not that hard. If it, I mean, if you told somebody that was just lost and in despair, this person in the world, they're lost and they're in despair, and you told them that when the name of Jesus is called, every knee, evil and evil and good, will bend, will bow down. <laughs> it should give people immaculate hope. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like. It's just, <laughs> I'm getting texts from my sister right now. My sister Isabella said, "Damn, Kellen." And my dad said, "You guys are <laughs> My dad said, "You guys are badass incarnate." <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out to you Thanks, guys. Thanks, dad. Thanks, Thanks Bella. For Thanks for watching. Um, yeah. Like I mean, it's just it's a we'll, blessing. We'll, we'll close up the good book. It's a blessing. We'll close it up. But yep. just know that there is hope in this world, and everything that we're going there through, there is hope in this world. All, all the evil that we're going through, all the trauma that, we, all the stress, all the sadness, all the everything. Just remember that when the name of Jesus is called, every knee will Shall bend, bend, good and evil. Amen. Every damn knee will bend. Bend it. Bend it. <laughs> Amen to that. Amen. Colin and Alex show. Colin, Alex, it's been a great ride, dude. Wow. Well, we're still going, bro. We we're got still all going next year. We're going to keep going. Wrap up four. this year. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> what a time. What a time to be alive and to be a part of this. And it's only just beginning. Yes, it is. It is only just beginning. Yes, it I is. can't wait. <laughs> Dude, I, I seriously cannot wait. I am so excited. I We're going to have many more conversations, many more podcasts. That is going to wrap it up for us. The Kellen, the Kellen and, and Alex, Alex show. Don't miss show. it. Don't miss it. Don't miss a beat. We're going to be doing more live streams. We're going to be doing more all sorts We're of stuff. We're just getting started. We're just getting started. All of this is just getting warmed up. Uh, we love you guys. Thanks so much for listening to the Kellen and Alex Peace show. Out. Peace out. 
If there's a Christian religion, then it's Catholicism or nothing. What politics actually is, art of people living together, orienting one another towards virtue. And the person was like, dude, flirting is the abortion of love. This is the most worthy, most exciting, most adventurous. Drop and, a nuke uh, on the Franciscan bubble. The Kellen and Alex Show. God could have stopped it if he Permissive will. That's right. <laughs> I don't know why God would allow something like that to go through. But then again, God allows God allows you to go to... on and on. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> Truth, okay. 